Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and on the NSN app. If you don't have it, get it. 24-6. Jewish-focused news, entertainment, music, and more. And we are in the home, 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 home stretch of this interminable political campaign of 2020, which really started really the second the 2016 election was over. In fact, President Trump did file for re-election on the day of his inauguration, January 20th, 2017. Can you imagine how long has it been since then, since we went dealt with that first controversy of crowd size? And how much has transpired since then? Wow. And here we are. It's two weeks and change until Election Day. And it is right now, and if you believe the polls, uh, as many of us do not since 2016, but if you leave the polls right now, it is an uphill climb for President Trump. It's an uphill climb even for the Republicans to retain the Senate. Any thoughts of taking back the House would seem to be put off for now. That seems out of reach for Republicans. And at the same time, uh, our community, the Orthodox community, seems to be more enthralled, more connected to the president and the Republican Party than before. Uh, AMI magazine out with a poll yesterday showing that 83% of Orthodox Jews that they polled. And, you know, I'm not sure about these poll these types of polls because, uh, yes, I looked a little bit at the notes and the sample size didn't really get into it with them. Uh, a thousand respondents distributed throughout the country. I don't know about the waiting, about how, uh, but it's from their own lists of Orthodox Jews, so technically it's not randomized. Um, New York, Florida, California, I mean, obviously the preponderance was for New York. Uh, New Jersey, California had less than 100 respondents. Uh, well, look, what whatever it is, I think we all know, it confirms what we all know, that most people in the Orthodox community, and as if you go more to the right in the Orthodox community, particularly in the Haredi precincts, uh, particularly... Amongst Hasidim, you're going to find more support for President Trump than uh, than elsewhere. Uh, significantly more support, and I expect it to be just as red in 2020 in many parts of Brooklyn, Queens, Rockland, Orange, Ocean County, New Jersey, and elsewhere than it was in 2016. And the ads that are running on behalf of the president uh, are actually kind of tell it appropriately. Is uh, have Hakar Satov for all the good things that the president has done on behalf of Israel and the Jewish people. And there's nothing wrong with Jews and all types of Jews, meaning any to vote their self-interest and to vote their interests of the things and the policies that they want. 
it's kind of this idea that, well, if you have a particular interest and you want something and you and you don't like the Iran the Iran nuclear deal, that somehow you're subverting U.S. policy, you're subverting this dual loyalty, you're subverting whatever it is to not think that whoever is going to be the candidate that will not cozy up to Iran uh, is the person that you should vote for. What I'm saying is that there are legitimate foreign policy interests in the Middle East for the United States. And I think that one thing we can say objectively, objectively, um, uh, and this has even been admitted by uh, by many people from the previous administration, meaning the Obama administration, uh, where Joe Biden, of course, was the vice president, uh, has been admitted that the attitude towards that, sorry, the president's pivot towards the Sunni states and the Gulf states, but particularly the Sunni axis, if you will, away from Shiite Iran, from the Shiite, uh, from the Iranian, Syrian, Turkish, Qatari type of uh, approach towards coddling Iran. Uh, that has resulted in historic peace agreements, or and particularly, uh, I think, an advancement of United States interests, not just Israel's interests, in creating this bulwark against Iran, in creating peace for Israel. For the first, a huge advancement, a huge step forward for the first time since the Jordanian peace agreement in the 90s, and has changed the calculus of how the eventual rapprochement between Israel and the Palestinians will come about because the Palestinians no longer feel that time is on their side, that history will pass them by if they don't eventually get to the negotiating table. But don't take my word for it. When you think about this, don't take my word, my word, as a Republican, as a person who outspokenly felt that the Obama approach to Iran was wrongheaded. It was shockingly naive. And filled with all kinds of wishful thinking on the part of the White House and President Obama and his administration. Take Harry Reid's word for it in an interview this week when Harry Reid, the former majority leader, the former Democratic leader in the Senate, sounds... Sounds like an audio issue. Okay. Might be back. Uh, Harry Reid said, and gave a, and, you know, give him a political rundown, still agile and spry in his retirement in Nevada, a key state, key swing state, I should say, 
Despite his antipathy towards the president, Reid reserves some praise for Trump, giving a nod to his role in brokering peace deals between Israel and the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain. I think is one of the highlights of the Trump administration, Reid said, characterizing the effort as commendable. He doesn't say that it indemnifies him overall, but as we well know, and we, I talked about, I think two weeks ago, Aaron David Miller just talking about how this deal totally upended all the conventional wisdom around peacemaking and essentially showed that there could be another approach, despite the fact the whole world was stuck in this approach of that had never brought any fruits, this approach that the Palestinian leadership, the weak Palestinian leadership, the inept Palestinian leadership could hold the whole world hostage on this issue. Uh, even Harry Reid was forced to praise President Trump on this. Harry Reid being the Republicans' chief adversary, a Obama confidence, chief ally. And he said, you know what? You're right. You're right. The other point here, as we look towards the re-election, is Judge Amy Coney Barrett on her way, hopefully, to confirmation. And you might not like the way it was done, and some people don't. And the question is, of course, as I mentioned, it's not whether they can do it. Of course they can. Whether they should do it politically. And it's an interesting Hail Mary, in my political estimation on this, uh, doing it because I think it puts some key Senate races at risk because of the highly partisan nature and some of senators going for re-election are looking at races where they are probably, where the electorate is probably not one that's going to favor deeply conservative judges, such as Maine, where Susan Collins is vulnerable, such as Colorado, where Cory Gardner is vulnerable, such as Arizona, where Martha McSally is vulnerable. Uh, these states, as opposed maybe to North Carolina, where Tom Tillis is vulnerable, and uh, continues to be behind despite a scandal from his Democratic opponent. But this is what as, as was mentioned and as was said, and I think it was probably President Trump's best answer in the debate, was that this is what he was elected to do. As president, you are there to nominate Supreme Court justices. And as senators, the Senate is there to confirm the president's nominations. That is what the Constitution says they should be doing. And I think she has acquitted herself uh, unbelievably well in the hearings. Uh, they've been free of fireworks pretty much. Uh, it is unbelievable to see her there with her seven children, two of whom adopted from Haiti. It's it's unbelievable when you think about the personal story here of a mother of seven kids. As a parent of six kids, it's just uh, when you think about it that this is, you know what she's going through and uh, what she handles and her intellectual firepower is clearly considerable as she sits there without notes 
and is incredibly impressive. And that's really what we want, right? We want impressive. So could we just ride that? Would that be a great way for the president to, to run into the reelection? And yes, it would. It would be. Uh, unfortunately, as we found with the overall campaign, is that the president loves the show. He loves being the showman. And it's worked for him. I And who am I to question this? Because it worked for him in the past. And perhaps it continues to pay dividends. Of course, the conventional wisdom is that stay away from the sideshow. Stay away from the conspiracies. Stay away from COVID. Well, you can't because you had it. And you're losing big time on confidence in whether this administration did a good job in tackling the COVID crisis. And then yesterday he retweets this strange conspiracy theory as to whether Osama bin Laden is really dead or whether it was a body double. I, I, look, Republicans and conspiracy theories, the QAnon, this whole, this whole thing, please, people, let's just stay away from it. And I think I think you see the infection, uh, the infection, I mean, literally, of our own community coming. And we'll get to that in a couple of minutes. But somebody tweeted, three former CIA directors involved in keeping bin Laden alive in Iran moved him from Iran to Pakistan for Obama's trophy kill. Payments to Iran were related, and the president retweeted this. And, of course, one of the Navy SEALs who uh, who actually killed uh, Osama bin Laden, who's a Trump supporter, had to tweet back and said, nope, we got it right. This was the guy. I don't know why you want to get into this thing. <laughs> ah, I don't know what to say. But uh, the one thing I think that, and just to get back to the case for where, how to look, if you want to look at you know how you might vote in November, the 19 days that are left. 19 days that are left is literally this this how how can one really assess whether the level of confidence in whether these are historic moves meaning when i say that i mean the peace deal between the emirates and bahrain maybe people somebody say well it's reversible might not happen but look at the fact that chevron the largest U.S. oil company bought Noble Energy, which is primary or significant holdings in natural gas fields off Israel. It is almost unthinkable that a U.S. oil company, that an international oil company, would buy an Israeli company to do business in Israel prior to this administration, prior to what has gone on. It is unthinkable that that would happen because you would risk not being able to do business with Arab countries. You would risk not being able to do business with Saudi Arabia, with the Emirates, with Qatar, with the, with it's with Kuwait. It's just too much of a risk. They would never take that. In fact, you know, this was always a thing that the Arab the Arab, the oil companies were pro Arab or Arabist and that was always a significant thing. We always had this question amongst nominees, if you look historically for 
various cabinet positions that if they had spent too much time in the Gulf for business interests, they could not be sympathetic appropriately to Israel. They had that taint to them. But now you have a major oil company buying an Israeli company, or sorry, company with Israeli holdings. It's remarkable. It's historic. It means also that the businesses have the confidence that this will endure, that this is kind of this will be the new normal, and that is a tremendous testament to a level of diplomacy and a level of diplomatic success that was really unthinkable, really unthinkable. Now the question is, how will you? assess this, will you look at it, these type of successes, and will you look at President Trump's style as being one that can accomplish these types of big things, or will you look at coronavirus and the shortcomings around that? And I think the shortcomings are considerable. And I think as we come to the fall and the winter, it is saddening, shocking, and scary what is going on and the resurgence that's going on in state after state and the rise in hospitalizations, the rise in infections, the rise in positivity rate, it's all going up. And we all have to, in the northern states, we're going to all have to go indoors pretty soon. The outdoor minyanim might be less. And, you know, take a state like Georgia, which is two, two congressional, uh, two Senate seats up for grabs because the retirement of Johnny Isaacson, so there's a special election to replace him, and then there's a regular election for David Perdue. So you have two seats sitting there. Likely voters in Georgia disapprove of the handling of the coronavirus by the president, 54 to 44%. It's a big number. Likely voters in Georgia say 55 to 36% that the spread of coronavirus in the U.S. is out of control. It's a big number. This is not the time for the president and the surrogates to dismiss the dangers of coronavirus. I know a lot of people are probably sick of hearing about it. And a lot of people say, enough already. Let's just move on. Let's do it. You can't move on when people are getting sick and dying, and it's happening. And this is the problem when I saw... On tape, Rudy Giuliani out there saying nobody gets sick of Corona anymore. Nobody dies. And it doesn't affect anybody in a room with nobody's wearing masks in a small room where everybody was packed closely together. Why? Don't understand why we're giving off that vibe. Well, tonight was supposed to be the debate. There's no debate because the president got corona and they wanted to move it virtually. He said no. I think I think a political mistake. 70 million people would have watched. Instead, you're getting dueling town hall meetings. Joe Biden on ABC and President Trump on NBC at the same time, 8 p.m., taking questions. Uh, what I'm assuming is that people who are partisan to... President Trump are going to be watching him. People who are partisan to President, uh, sorry, to Vice President Biden, they're going to be watching him. And uh, that's not what President Trump needs. President Trump's behind. Needs to kind of, 
Okay, now we got to talk about the elephant of the room. The elephant of the room, of course, is what's going on in our community, in the Orthodox community, what's going on in Borough Park. Heshi Tischler, never thought I'd be actually talking about him. Uh, gadfly, activist, guy definitely wants to get his point across, radio show host, so who am I to criticize? Somebody who has a show. And uh, relentless promoter of himself. But I think he means well in some cases. But what has gone on in the street in Borough Park is reprehensible. Violence is not our way. That's just not the way that we do anything as a community. The mob is not a way. We, we, have, we have norms. We are not like the rest of the world. Even if we see other people in New York City and elsewhere in the country rioting and looting and setting fires and doing all that protesting... And I'm getting away with it. That's not what we do. That's not a path that we choose for ourselves. And we see a breakdown. Uh, unfortunate breakdown. A terrible breakdown. It's what is, uh, what's been going on in the cynicism and the rush to believe anything that's on social media, whether it's Facebook, WhatsApp, Twitter. If you need a doctor... If you're sick with a disease, do you consult Facebook or do you go to a doctor? And for some reason, many in our community seem to feel that they can believe whatever is on WhatsApp, that things that are happening, don't wear a mask, don't do this, it's all a lie, it's all, it's, it's just goes back to this anti-vaxxer stuff that we saw two years ago with the measles, which was shocking in the ignorance of the people who don't go ahead and vaccinate. Do people want measles? Do people want polio? Do people want all these diseases? And yes, coronavirus is new, so we so we discount everything the doctors say because they didn't know everything at first. We believe in science. We, I'm saying we, Torah Jews, believe in science. We have faith in the fact that if there's a machla, there's a refuah. But the other thing we have faith in is that whatever is happening is a gezerah from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And for whatever reason, Bavonoseinu Harabim, because of our many sins, that this is happening, that somebody as a shaliach is closing our shuls, is ordering our yeshivas closed, and for whatever reason, I'm not defending it, and I'm going to explain that first in a second, and for whatever reason, That is something that is coming, and we have to be introspective about it, like everything else that we do. There's a musr that is involved in this. I'm sorry to get so religious about it, but it's shocking in the idea that we would treat other human beings, members of our community this way, because they are afraid, because they want safety. That you criticize people for wearing a mask, you criticize people who want social distancing, you criticize people who say some of this behavior is not safe. And then to attack reporters from the outside and to call them Nazis and to use words on camera with the news trucks rolling and sitting there that are shocking in their ignorance and are shocking in their bigotry. And to show that our community is really no better Please, come on. But the other thing I should say is that Borough Park is not the entirety of the Orthodox community. 
and people on the streets in Borough Park who are hanging out on 13th Avenue are not the entirety of Borough Park either. And just because people go out and they protest and they do this does not and should not tar an entire community. But we have to realize, and part of it is as as Haredi, the Haredi community wears a certain lavush, wears a certain dress in order to distinguish themselves. And when you do that and you wear that dress and you distinguish yourself, you have to acknowledge that the outside world is going to look at you with a certain way. And it's easy to spot. And I think that the targeting of Haredim, both in Israel and the U.S., is because it's easy for a reporter to go ahead and identify somebody as not doing the right thing if they're not wearing a mask because we can immediately identify their background and we can immediately identify who they are as opposed to regular people who aren't wearing masks. Who are they? We don't know exactly who they are. We don't know where they come from. We don't know whether they, what their origin is. We don't know why they're not wearing a mask. It's easy. But is, as Jews, as from Jews, you can easily say, hey, that guy's Orthodox. And it's an easy story. And the ignorance of the press is, is breathtaking. But at the same time, I should say, and more inexcusable, the ignorance of our elected officials as to how they've approached our community and how they've approached this one-size-fits-all uh, approach to the entirety of the Haredi community is is just remarkable, remarkable for its ineptitude and its incompetence. And the idea that we would make the rules first and then do outreach later, it is absurd to apply the same rules with regard to shuls when you know there's going to be a backlash, when you know that people are not going to be supportive of the idea of closing shuls. And to say that a shul that seats 1,000 people or 500 people or 300 people can have the same 10 people as a shul that seats 30 or 25. It's ridiculous. And if you don't understand why people are cynical about that, why people in our community are sick about told that they can't go to shul, even if they go in a safe way, in a social distance way, with masks... And if they can do that, and we can't act safely, then if you can't understand as the government why people are cynical about that, then you shouldn't be in office and you shouldn't be doing it. And and the problem is, you know, in City Hall, there's one Hasidic guy, I don't want to name him by name, wonderful, absolutely incredible public servant. But he seems to be the only Orthodox Jew and the only person in New York City government. Why are there not more from contact tracers? Why are there not more from people doing outreach out there on an everyday basis? You have one person advising the mayor for an entire city, for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Jews throughout the city in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, Staten Island, Bronx. It's a lot. It's not a job that's easy to tackle and totally unprepared. And I think the mayor relied on a previous his previous closeness from Borough Park with the from community and relied on that and then was kind of shocked when people didn't want to listen to him anymore because of the way that he reacted last time around because he targeted the Jewish community in Williamsburg when he refused to condemn people who were protesting and rioting and everybody saw those pictures and refused to do that. And then he wonders why people are cynical and they don't want to listen to him. And Governor Cuomo, well, we are feeling now as a from community what many throughout the state have felt for months about Governor Cuomo's approach 
to his handling the coronavirus is I will do whatever I want to do because I have the power to do it. In fact, he said as much on a conference call, on the conference call with Orthodox community leadership, essentially said, well, you know, when somebody, when, when a prominent Rav asked him why close all the schools, why not test and see what the problem is, he said, well, we have, you know, fear, we just have to do it, essentially. And then he blamed the city, of course, and you have the city, the Cuomo de Blasio dynamic, and why, of course, would somebody not expect this to breed cynicism, to breed contempt, to breed people in the street to protest? Of course they should. Of course they should expect that to happen. They should. I'm not saying people should do it, but what has happened, what happened with, with Yanko Kornbluh, with Jacob Kornbluh, to attack a reporter, even if he's from our community, to beat up another uh, man, uh, gets. How do you, as a from person, Heshi Tischler, promote violence? I know you said you didn't, but how do you promote violence against another Jew, another from person, even if you feel that they're doing what they say they're doing? And, you, and his response, well, you know, I'm, I am who I am, essentially. And let's acknowledge that this is not our way. This is not the way of the from community. This is not the way of Hashem. This is not the way of the Torah. This is not the way that we approach things. We look for guidance from our Rabbanim. We look to guidance from people who are of deep experience in this area. That's it here for Spin Class here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs. And next week, we will have 12 days till Election Day.